0: What is up, everybody? We are back with the American Toffee Podcast. I am very pleased to be joined, as always, by Alex. Hey. And our very special guest this evening, DJ Jordan Sanchez of the newly formed Vice City Evertonians. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on. So new group uh, had a little bit of a Twitter blow up. Your spot kind of got blown up, really taken off really quickly. Um, so, give us a little bit of background on yourself. How, uh, what do you do? Where are you from? Obviously, Miami in the Miami area. Just, just give us a little bit of your backstory.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm from Miami, born and raised. I uh, never actually really liked uh, soccer or football. I don't know. I don't know what you guys prefer to call it, but either way, same. We can same call beautiful. it soccer here. Yeah, same beautiful sport, right? I mean, the thing is, it interchanges for me too because I'm I'm a Spanish speaker. So if I was speaking to someone uh, that speaks Spanish, I have to say football, and it's like a little confusing, but. Uh, yeah, I've, I actually never really was a big soccer fan until that summer of soccer, the Tim Howard summer of soccer. Uh, That's it. He, yeah. So I mean, I've always kind of casually watched, and uh, and my dad played semi pro soccer in Cuba, which is not super impressive because Cuba kind of sucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but he always loved Brazil, and uh, and I would you know casually watch, but I never really got into it. I was more of a basketball and football guy. Until like I said that summer, and uh, and I started like getting into conversations with some of my friends about which soccer team I need to follow, and I always had a little soft spot uh, for Real Madrid. I know it's kind of like corny, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, but that's because I, I actually lived in Spain for a while, and my family are Madridistas, so uh, uh, they kind of like took me to uh, to Santiago Bernabeu to not for a game because we, you know, the season was not was not going on at the time we were there, but you know, to eat and check it out. They kind of like try to brainwash me. Uh, I didn't. I, I didn't really buy into it. So, uh, so you know, I I got more into soccer then, but you know, still not like still football, basketball, baseball, uh, were my sports. And then, uh, and then when I saw Tim Howard and I, I learned where he was from, and you know, kind of like uh, the club around him. And at this time, I'm, I'm I'm using these words because at the time I didn't know anything about club soccer, at least in the Premier League. So, uh, so once I started like looking up YouTube videos and and following Everton Twitter, I was like, what is this? This is like the (laughs) most amazing thing I've ever experienced. So, uh, so it built up to this, like this thing where I just started following Everton to one point, one time I just ended up going, uh, well, I was in Amsterdam at the time DJing and, uh, just one crazy night we decided, Hey, let's take a, one of these like $90 Euro flights and hit up Liverpool and, uh, and check out a game at Goodison. So I, I did that. And ever since then, it's been a true love. That's, that's an amazing story. So, so who did you see when you went? What was the match when you went to Goodison? So I will never forget this just because, uh, um, it was a weird feeling. It was not the most exciting, uh, sporting event I've ever been to, which kind of what I was, what, what was I, I was expecting that, but, I learned to like kind of respect the Evertonians in a new way just because of the experience. And and it was the day that Howard Kendall died. So we we, wow. fly, we fly in the morning of and we hear the news and it's it's it, it really took a lot of the excitement out of me. So we kind of went to Goodison and the surrounding areas and uh, it was it was definitely there was a somber feeling. Like, definitely a, 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 a lull over the crowd. But what I was noticing was a lot of people leaving like flowers and scars at, you know, the Dixie Dean statue in front of the park yeah. and at different areas around the stadium. Uh, more than what I've, I, I mean, I didn't know because I've never been there before, but I, I've always seen that in photos and stuff. But this to me seemed like an excessive amount and a lot of, you know, a lot of homages, uh, uh, homages to, uh, to Howard Kendall. And, uh, it was, it was the, the most unique sporting experience that I've ever had in my life. Just the respect uh, for someone around the club, just the, you know, and, and the crowd and the supporters understanding that, you know, it was a time for the time of mourning for a, for a club. Uh, It was really actually impressive, really awesome. And, you know, not in the, in the, uh, Oh, that's so awesome way of awesome, but it was definitely like, like very, 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 it left a very big impression on me.
0: That's a, that's a crazy, you know, coincidence. And, it is kind of, I guess, emblematic of Everton as a club to because it is like one big family. And so when someone as legendary as Howard Kendall passes away, um, you really get the blues out in full force. So I'm sure that was quite the experience.
1: Oh, yeah. It, it was it was out of this world. I fell in love with the city of, uh, of Liverpool. It was just I, I don't, it just all came together. Yeah. Uh, at that time, and it was uh and even though we lost it was against Manchester United, uh, I think Rooney scored twice that game too uh i think uh I think it was just I don't know uh, it, it's it's like that that saying, you know, once everton touches you, nothing will ever be the same again, right
0: yeah yeah,
2: Jordan's a real fan right there so so <laughs> let me ask you this: uh you started the vice City. Fan group, which to our knowledge is the most recent fan group to be created. I have two questions for you A, is it just like Grand Theft Auto? Because that was my favorite version. <laughs> and B, <laughs> what made you start the fan group? Um, being an international DJ,
1: I'm, I'm assuming you uh, are a very busy man. Uh, so, um, Yeah, first of all, about Vice City, also my favorite, Grand Theft Auto. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Uh, And one of the reasons why I liked it so much was because actually, uh, on a side, the whole game... Was like kind of accurate to what Miami, obviously. Like it was kind of brought down to a little bit of a smaller scale, but you know the club where the club was, that was an actual club that I DJ'd at, and it was wow. yeah, uh, uh, the the Ocean Drive right there on the beach. It was very accurate. It was pretty much the building for building exactly what Miami looked, and that's where the name came comes from. Vice City Evertonians, and I think like uh, ever since that game came out, Vice City has stuck to Miami as aside from the video game uh, so much so that even one of the supporters groups for the uh, upcoming MLS team here in Miami is called uh, vice city. So uh, yeah, I didn't know about that until after, and they let me know, <laughs> they were like, Hey, uh, yeah. Hey guy, you know, you're, uh, you're stealing our name. i got like, honestly, I had no idea you guys existed. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And, uh, but no, we're, we're cool. Actually. Uh, he told me, you, you know what, as long as you're spreading the culture, uh, we're down with that, uh, you know, because you know Miami's a Miami's not really a soccer city. I mean, it is in disguise, but we don't have a team, right? So we have a lot of South Americans, Central Americans, Caribbean Americans that are huge soccer fans, but there's nothing to go to here in Miami except for the uh, occasional friendly, like the the Barca Napoli friendly that just happened, which was a sellout. Um, I believe Everton came to Miami about ten years ago as well, and that was a near sellout. Uh, so, yeah, we we have a pretty good soccer crowd. We just don't have a team. So I kind of like put my foot forward and wanted to like uh, basically kind of be one of the guys that that ex- expands this culture of soccer in Miami. And I didn't see much of a Premier League following here. It's mostly La Liga or like, um, you know, South American leagues, uh, Argentina, like ar- Argentina and Brazil. So I was like, yeah, let's let's get some hype around the Premier League. Let's get some hype around Everton a really good historic team that I think a lot of Miamians would really, really appreciate just the stories behind it. I think a lot of, of Miami lore matches uh, much of Everton lore, or just Liverpool lore in general, just like the kind of like the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, sense of humor and uh, the different way of speaking. It's very, very much parallel to what Miami is A, a city on the water, a port city on the water, you know? So uh, I, th- I thought you know, this is going to be a great idea. I'm going to go ahead and, and do it, uh, but it was really hard. <laughs> yeah, so talk us
0: through uh, what the process looks like for – if you if you you decide one day I want to start an Everton fan group, official fan group, get the sanction, get the blessing of the club, what is your first move and like how do you even get the ball rolling on something like that?
1: Yeah, so that was kind of like a question I was wrestling with for a long time. Um, I had decided that I wanted to do this about six months ago. Uh, so I started hitting up uh, David Kurtz at Everton USA who helped me out help me out with the tickets actually the time I went to Liverpool and um, and he was basically telling me like yo you gotta do you gotta do these this kind of paperwork I'll get you in touch with the people at the club email this guy and uh, it, it, I got like kind of caught up in like a million email threads with different people from either the club or some supporters club that's not really officially uh, officially affiliated with the club. Also, Everton USA kind of got involved. So I was kind of lost. It kind of like really got me more confused. So then, you know, I, got, I went back on the Everton USA Facebook and I started hitting up some guys uh, uh, locally that started clubs here. And I even hit up the uh, South Florida Evertonians, which is kind of, I guess, in my turf. But they're located in a, in a city about 60 miles away. So, you know, that was one of the reasons why I started it too is because you know, that's a little too far for me. Right. So I wanted, you know, I wanted to start something here and in a big city, you know, a big city like Miami where I could get a lot of people. Um, And uh, so I I hit him up and he told me, dude, just start it, man. Just go ahead and make a Facebook page, make a Twitter account and then contact the club. And and they'll start, you know, they'll they'll have an eye on you because of the noise that you're making. And then from, you know, from there, they started sending me all this paperwork, you know, uh, uh, documents to write down all the uh, the uh, the members and all this stuff. And so I guess like once I started the Twitter, things started rolling. and I started the Twitter a week before the first game of the season.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you've got it done just in time. Um, how has it been as far as like recruiting? Because it's easy to like get Twitter followers. But when you think about the, the I guess, the scope of Everton predominantly in England and, and but there's fans all over the world. Like we see it from who listens to our show. We've got people listening all over the globe. Um, how is it? Has it been hard to kind of like
1: pick out Evertonians that are actually local to you? So I, I think, yeah, I think in general that is pretty pretty hard to do. So what kind of like my strategy was to get people out was kind of just uh, promote that we've only had two watch parties and at two different locations, but both times I've kind of promoted it in a way where uh, anyone's welcome, whether you support the opposing uh, team or whether you support a, another another club that's playing at the same time and you're just trying to go there and catch the game. I was kind of like welcoming them, opening the door to everybody, kind of like, in the spirit of extending the soccer culture in Miami. So, um, so what actually ended up happening was a little bit of that. We did have a, a few people from our meetups that came uh, to watch other teams or to support other teams. Uh, particularly in our last meetup, we had some Liverpool guys. Uh, there's actually a photo of us with them. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, one thing that started happening that I was very surprised about was actually people from Liverpool – in town catching the game with us. Wow. Yeah. And that, it's happened both times already. So one of the guys, the first day, we had, you know, a guy that that followed us on Twitter from Fort Lauderdale came with his daughter. So kind of like the outreach, typical local outreach type of thing. Hey, welcome. Let me get your name, uh, you know, your email, your contact information so we can contact you for you know future future events for our supporters club. And then I I see this guy walking. I'm like, this guy is not from Miami. Like you could, you know, you could tell, like, (laughs) I, I, I don't know if you've been to Miami, but you know, we're basically kind of like mostly Hispanic, dark skinned, uh, exotic looking and I see this guy that looks exactly like someone from Merseyside I'm like this this guy <laughs> is from Liverpool for sure you know and he has the 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 sunburn from like that's very recognizable on tourists that come to Miami that don't yeah. put sunscreen on <laughs> so I'm like this this guy I think this guy is from Liverpool sure enough he comes in and he's like can I join you in a Scouse accent and I'm like oh so you know I started talking to him and he ended up being a guy that works in the cruise industry and he's in Miami like every other month uh working for royal caribbean and he's a season ticket holder for everton wow yeah so i think i've seen more of that actually because the same thing happened uh, this last one uh two guys uh two soccer coaches that moved to the united states came in uh heard about us on twitter and uh and just kind of like you know they kind of said they kind of mentioned oh yeah we just saw you on twitter we just looked up the local evertonian club and here we are (laughs) that's awesome yeah yeah it is it is really awesome. it's cool that I could get a mix of uh of the local flavor with you know the real evertonian flavor, you know and I also like that you're kind of
0: the i I really like the idea of you know just being a a promoter of the general soccer culture because I do think that it's poised to have kind of a exponential takeoff over the next probably five or six years. Um, the Premier League is just becoming unbelievably big, but even the MLS is growing at a rapid rate so i i I just think it's really positive you know, you don't know you want to be welcoming. I think that's a characteristic that most Evertonians embody unless you're a Liverpool fan in most cases, but even then um pretty accommodating so it's good that that that's the spirit with which you're you're taking this on because it's it can be kind of intimidating, and you touched on this earlier how um you know when you're first getting into the sport, it's so different from American sports with all the different competitions going on concurrently and um the way that the transfer window works it's all just like so different so it can be kind of intimidating for a new fan to try to pick everything up and try to understand how it all works so with that in mind i think it's really great that you're you know welcoming and and totally open to having new people come in because there're plenty of of evertonians that are out there that just don't know they're evertonians yet
1: yeah exactly i mean you're born an evertonian you just don't realize it until later on in life right all right gents so some interesting talking points since
2: the post-match episode, apparently, and this this statistic is super interesting to me and super um, inspiring. Everton concedes the second fewest goals, six goals from open play since January 30th of 2019. Uh, furthermore, Everton are the only team in the league this season with zero goals conceded after two matches. Everyone was was super um, worried about the fact that we couldn't sign Kurt Zuma on a on a. a uh, permanent, and we did not sign uh, another center back after letting go uh jack yelka Ashley williams so with those two stats kind of in mind, obviously one is predominantly based on last season's matches. How do we feel about the
1: defense and, and how we're building into this season? I can't believe that that uh, people were actually asking for Marco silva's uh sacking when when they were complaining about the zonal marking what was it like what, what month was that last year? that had to have been uh it was like
3: the
0: first probably three months of the season i'd say when when I mean we were shipping a lot of goals, yeah, no,
1: absolutely. uh, but I think it kind of like goes to show you that it's it's a uh, it's like a marco silva system based thing, right it's uh all these players are getting kind of like uh gaining this this uh confidence and working with each other, and obviously something's going on in training where they're building a rapport with each other where it's it, it you you feel the sense of like I, i'm not i'm never scared about our defense right now yeah i'm not scared that that someone like mina is is not going to react uh quickly to a ball that that you know that 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 goes toward on his side uh I, i'm fully confident in sheamus uh michael keen is just a beast you know so i think uh and obviously uh Luca in the back there on the wing there is 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 another beast and he could pass from anywhere on that pitch to anyone making an advance uh you know a forward movement. So I, I really don't have any fears about uh what our defense can handle. However, I will say this caveat, uh one injury to that to that back line, and I think we might see a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I, I def I definitely agree
0: with the depth issues. Um I think We've yet to see Sidibe play. So the question marks are totally valid on him um, coming from Monaco. I think it seems to be the consensus that Monaco was pretty glad to see him go because he hasn't really performed the last two seasons for them. That being said, I mean, a World Cup winner, you can't discount that. So the depth is a, is a big question mark. But that front first starting four is is really solid in the set pieces were always the main concern because everyone was pretty much really happy. And I'd be interested to see how many play goals from open play. We've conceded since Marco Silva took over because that was never really the issue. We actually did extremely well defending open play. It was always just the set pieces that would come back to bite us in the butt. Now that that seems to have been sorted out, knock on wood that we are really looking pretty confident from set pieces. Like I was filled with dread last season toward probably the first half Anytime that there was a corner kick or a set piece near the box, because there was just a really high likelihood that we were going to concede something. And now it just seems like with the Mina in there now, instead of Kurt Zuma, we have that extra presence in the air. Um, Michael Keane looks to be a, a really strong vocal presence as well as physical presence. And it really has helped the whole back line gel together.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I was not a uh, clenching, Every time there's a set piece or corner kick, right? Because it just—I have scars from all of the points that we have given up over the last year or so, just on on those plays alone, and and what feels like just very simple mistakes and not marking or or not even trying to jump for the ball or, or contest for the ball in the air and that sort of thing. But the stats for open play, which actually last season. I feel like it was pretty well known that open play, we were very solid. It was it was literally just set pieces kind of in the middle of the season in which we really faltered and lost a lot of points that way. But I mean, you know, you look at it, we might have talked about it in, in a couple episodes, a couple episodes prior, but Wolves, right? The opening day against Wolves, if Jags didn't get sent out wrongly for a red card and and Neves didn't take a free kick 10 yards further than than a foul actually occurred. Then we would have finished them above. We would have finished above them in the table because they they only finished in seventh um, above us by two points, and, and that was the difference in that match. It, it's very fine margins, and and you know the only thing I have to say to to the Yeri Mina hair, haters, the Gerald uh, Big Mina haters, is the fact that every appearance he made last season was fantastic. I mean, his first appearance in the Premier League against Chelsea, he won Man of the Match, right? So. I think it was a draw. It was definitely a clean sheet, but I think it was a draw. And and yet across both teams, both sets of starting elevens, he won man of the match. And he's been pretty consistent. Obviously this season he's been very consistent, but even last season he just had some inj- injury issues, but I think that we look very solid in defense. I think our fullbacks have fantastic depth in Layton Baines and Sidibe. Obviously our center backs not so much, you know, as as Jordan kind of alluded to, right? One injury, specifically in my opinion, to the center backs, and we might have a problem. However, I'm kind of hoping that that Mason Holgate might might take that next step and really cement himself and take the opportunity if it comes. Because uh, not not to kind of dwell on the past, but last weekend when when he was shifted to right back and Luca Dean came out and, and Seamus Coleman moved to left back, uh, Mason look, looked looked uh, pretty rough out there.
1: Yeah, he did. Uh, but I, I kind of want to. Touch on what you said about Mina um, being from Miami. A million Colombians are here, and I would say Colombia is probably the Colombian national soccer team is probably the most popular soccer team in Miami, and they absolutely love Yerry Mina. That's like it's him, Falcao, all in the same. Not in, in necessarily how they regard them as far as talent, but in the same breadth of like popularity. Yeah, absolutely. Mina's is up there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's awesome. He brings a lot of flair and it is it's nice to have those types of players because they expand your international profile. Like I'm sure we've picked up thousands of Colum, whether they be in Miami or in, you know, native Colombians who have paid attention to Everton and perhaps even become fans because of him. And that's only gonna be a net positive for the club in the long run.
1: Yeah, that helps me out at Vice City EFC too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: totally. Uh so let's move on to a uh clash of the I guess one former and one current Evertonian out on loan a bit of a scrap between Joel Robles who denied Sandro Ramirez his first goal in like over a year they clashed Robles saw red so he's he's out and then Sandro Ramirez went off injured kind of just a, uh, a a reminder of what used to be and I actually liked Joel Robles in a blue shirt I thought You know, there were times when he actually got a run of games when he actually uh, he played pretty well. Sandro, I think enough has been said about him. Uh, I don't think at this rate we're ever going to be able to offload his contract. I think we're going to have to loan him out until it goes and he leaves probably on a free, um, unfortunately. But it's just kind of uh, it's funny to see all the former Evertonians when they when they happen to meet up in other leagues. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, two things that I caught about that that little situation there. One, uh, when Sandro hits the floor, he's immediately looking at the ref and telling the ref if this is in Spanish, if this is out of the box, that's a red. If this is out of the box, that's a red. You know, and and the, the ref is looking at him and immediately takes out that red. I mean, it was out of the box. So I didn't know that it was actually like a specific rule in Spain. I'm not sure if that is, but I'm pretty sure that he was like pleading his case there. Hey, listen, that's got to be a red. Uh, Also, he kind of puts on a nice little hitch move on Robles there right before they make contact. Where was that? Where was that at Everton?
0: (laughs) Honestly, man, I mean, he came in with so much promise. and When we signed him for, I can't remember, it was a really low fee, like less than 10, I think. And coming from being at Barcelona and then being loaned out, um, really highly touted. And just never really came off for him. So I mean I wish all the best for him. I hope that he has a, a good career, but it's certainly been a, a train wreck of the last probably three years for him. yeah
2: I, I mean I can't I can't speak about that specific summer transfer window enough. I remember sitting in my in my office as an intern being so hyped day after day, like you know Davey Klassen, Sandra Ramirez, you know, all these super exciting players. Wayne Rooney came back. And I'm like, dude, we could legitimately t- challenge for the top six, top five. Legitimately, all of them flopped. Wayne Rooney came in. You know, he. I'm kind of get off, getting off on a tangent, but but he kind of pushed Gilfie Sigurdsson out of his best his best position. Um, Joel Joel Robles. I think all Everton uh, fans are united in a sense that he was too good to be a backup at Everton. And he deserves starting minutes, whether that was in Spain or or at another Premier League club. Um, You know, I want to say that he spent three or four years at Everton. So I remember like two years ago, he went and played in in an Atletico Madrid. um, What was it like? Legends match. And me and my buddies were joking around the fact that like, why is Joel Robles playing in an Atletico Madrid legends match? But nonetheless, it, it was just so ironic to see that headline, and I, I think everyone got a kick out of it. Although it's kind of sadistic, I suppose.
0: Definitely a little bit sadistic. Um, but but our last little piece of uh news nuggets, I guess, Alex. Why don't you tell us about the Otten Cup? So, the Otten Cup, and
2: and I just I just did research on this today while at work. I'll have you know because I personally, and I think I can speak with for everyone w- when I say that. I was not even aware the Otten Cup existed, nor was I aware that Everton was participating in it in any capacity. So the Otten Cup is a U19 friendly tournament hosted by PSV. Uh, it actually started in 1947, and generally speaking, it's eight teams across the globe, uh, generally speaking, in, in, in major um, in major leagues. So the, the big piece of information here is obviously Everton fielded a team for the tournament, the friendly tournament, And Anthony Gordon was named the best forward in the Otton Cup. Um, Mind you, we're talking about clubs like Inter, who won the cup, uh, PSV, Barcelona, Everton. Um, I I want to say Villarreal, but don't quote me. So that was huge for me because I thought Anthony Gordon, when he came on in preseason for a couple looks, he looked really promising. Obviously, he's one of the he's one of the younger youth players that we have that that seems to be uh, starting to get minutes in the U23 setup. Um overall, Everton came in third in the tournament, which is also a great piece of news.
1: Yeah, um, I didn't know about the Otten Cup either, but I do know about Anthony Gordon and uh, mostly from from like little YouTube clips that the club puts out. And he has like a he has like a nice little like X factor thing going. He, he could put in a nice free kick from good distance. He has power. He he can make nice runs. And I think it kind of, you know, it makes you feel good because You know, you see Marcel, you hear Marcel Brands talk about this, but you don't see it as, as, at least if you're not, uh, not super obsessed with the club, like watching their U19 games, U23 games, all that stuff. Uh, but he always stresses the fact that he wants to start from the bottom up and start with the youth, with the youth and the young players. And, you know, we're seeing that play out now. And it, 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 it's almost like anytime Marcel Brands has his footprint or, or talks about something, it, it, it you see it play out in reality and you feel more and more confident about the job that he's doing.
0: Yeah. Just to wrap okay. things up, <clears throat> I think you hit the nail on the head, Jordan with the Marcel Brandt's building up and it kind of segues nicely back to, from what we were talking about with, I guess the false dawn of Steve Walsh. Okay. And now we have an actual competent director of football taking us in the right direction. And I think, I do think Anthony Gordon has a really high ceiling and that he can, potentially one of the few youth players and there's always youth players coming through the system that we think, okay, he's the next breakout star. He's the next breakout star in reality. So few do break through, but I, I think he's one to watch for the future. And I think his, his prospects are probably higher than most that we currently have in our system. Um, And with that said, I think we're going to wrap things up with our segment with Jordan. Jordan really appreciate you joining us. Uh, Great stuff. And if you are in the greater Miami area, definitely A, follow Vice City Evertonians on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, definitely join up and help spread the culture.
1: Yeah, definitely. We'd love to have everybody out there. If you're visiting, passing through Miami, uh, we have have our doors open for you to join us, whether you are an Everton fan or uh, anyone else for that matter. And I don't want to say the other team because uh, it's the team that shall not be named.
0: (laughs) They're not welcome.
1: (laughs) All right. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you.
2: everybody for this next segment we are super excited to have mike from mostly soccer podcast the biggest arsenal fan in the entire world join us to talk about alex iwobi mike thank you so much as always
3: hey guys thank you so much for having me that's high praise for me the, the biggest arsenal fan in the world but i will take it i might be the most emotional arsenal fan in the world
0: that's really saying something cuz you uh, i mean i guess every every fan is emotional in their own way so you must set the bar pretty high
3: I don't. I don't know if it's uh, emotion or just the most long-suffering Arsenal fan, or at least I feel that way. I haven't been a fan for that long, but I, the emotional stress that they put me through certainly makes it feel like it.
0: I think that's something that we can definitely relate to as Everton
3: fans. <laughs>
2: I was about to say the uh, the Invincibles from approximately fifteen years ago aren't enough to hold you over.
3: Well, I'm only twenty two years old, so I mean, I wasn't <laughs> really a fan at that point. That was. My fandom started when Thierry Henri was leaving, and Robin Van Persie was the man who won my heart and inevitably ended up backstabbing me.
0: Ooh, that's, that's a tough one. That's a tough loss to get over. That's one that, that's like the ex-girlfriend that you still think about years later.
3: You know, I mean, I, my first two Arsenal jerseys were both RVP jerseys, and he still haunts me to this day, but I digress. We have two much better strikers than he ever was now. That's fair. <laughs> um, so,
0: so let's uh, let's hop into it because uh, the man of the hour, the man we want to talk about, who you have uh, some some more insight than we certainly do, Alex Iwobi, signed on deadline day, kind of an unexpected move. The link kind of popped up out of nowhere when we were being linked with Wilfred Zaha. And then I, some people thought it might have been a play by Marcel Brands to kind of create some leverage in the Palace deal. But then... At the end of the window, Marco Silva said that Alex Iwobi was probably was was one of our top targets for the window. And so he is obviously an Arsenal youth product, came through your academy, I believe, since like he was like 12 or something like that, a very young age. Um, that's I think that's something that all fans really love to see when you have a player who who actually f- of the few that make it, the one that does is, is always kind of held and holds a special place in a fan's heart. So is it tough for you to see see a player who's been with the club for so long depart?
3: Yeah, I mean, Alex Iwobi has been with Arsenal since I've been a fan. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I've been rooting for Alex Iwobi to succeed a youth product. I think I looked it up today and I saw that he's been with the club since 2004. So I mean, he's he's put in some years there. And Alex Iwobi was the first goal scorer that I ever saw at a Premier League match. Um, he was my first and I'll always remember him for that. So Alex Iwobi holds a special place in my heart, personally. And I think it was difficult for all fans to see him leave. And I think you saw that a little bit on Twitter.
0: You always remember your first. <laughs> <Not that much. laughs>
3: well,
2: you know what? Funny thing. Speaking of firsts, I watch, you know, Everton, uh, YouTube. Their their video game has, has gone up immensely this season. But in, quote unquote, getting to know Alex Iwobi, apparently his first senior goal was scored against Everton.
3: So that's kind
0: of a funny coincidence, isn't it?
3: Full circle, I guess, for Alex Iwobi.
0: So let's get into it. As someone who's who's watched him play pretty regularly, I mean, as a player who has over 100 appearances for Arsenal, you've probably seen him at his best and his worst. So the consensus seems to be kind of that he functions best as a number 10, but he's oftentimes played out on the wing. So what do you view as his best position?
3: Alex Iwobi is almost always in an Arsenal jersey playing out on the left wing. Uh, you'd very rarely see a Warby come into that number 10 role in an Arsenal jersey. That's something that he does for Nigeria a lot. And apparently he has a lot of success for Nigeria in that role. He's kind of the leader of that team. And uh, I think that says kind of a lot about what Arsene Wenger liked to do with a lot of those young uh, kind of attacking midfielder striker players is his favorite thing to do is just push him out into the wing. And I think Alex Warby was kind of a product of that. And um, I mean... He has succeeded in that role for Arsenal. One of the big stats that I kept seeing pop up on Twitter was that he had one of the highest chances created in the Premier League for the amount of minutes that he was on last year. And, I mean, as an Everton fan, I think you'll get some of those great moments from a Woby but you'll also get the intense moments of frustration where the poor decision-making comes into play and the fancy dribbling just isn't enough. Um, but for his best position, I mean, from what I've seen, It's the left wing, but I know you guys got Bernard over there for that. So I'm interested to see if Everton will actually move him over to a more central role where I think this year with Arsenal, I was excited to see happen. Um, But, you know, he left us on deadline day. So uh, I'd be interested to see that, but I don't know what you guys think.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's a super interesting point because Marcel Brands did an in-depth interview based on all of the signings we made this summer. And to my understanding, he he mentioned that he saw Wobey as a central attacking midfielder. However, Marco Silva conversely said that he planned on playing him mostly on the left-hand side. From an Everton fan's perspective, Bernard, who ended up scoring the, uh, the winning goal a couple of days ago at Goodison Park, opening the first uh, opening the Everton account this season, he only scored two goals in total last season. He's not, he's not prolific by any means. And I think that a lot of Everton fans would have preferred more of a challenge for Bernard, um, and, and Lookman just didn't make the cut. So, in my opinion, I think that I think that Awobi has the capability to really challenge and even possibly usurp Bernard in a starting left midfield position, assuming, you know, he can find some consistency and depending on kind of Bernard's form.
3: Yeah. That's interesting. Um Alex Awobi is not prolific by any means. I think you guys have probably heard that by now that he's not the goal scorer that Everton probably want or need right now, judging from these past two games. But, um, I mean, he does provide something. When I think of Alex Iwobi, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the dribbling and the passing, the positioning and the vision. I mean, those are the main things that Iwobi is really good at when it comes to decision-making in the final third. That is where Iwobi is very frustrating to a lot of Arsenal fans. And I think, um, that's something that Everton need that help in the final third, and I'm not sure that a Woby is going to be that goal scorer, but I do think that you can create a lot of chances for you guys.
0: It'll be interesting to see how our front line kind of develops over the course of the entire season, because for the first time in a long time, we have legitimate competition in most of those areas. Unfortunately, it seems that we are like ridiculously deep at left wing and kind of have to shoehorn players into the right wing position, which is what you see with Richarlison who plays over there, but the consensus is that he functions best on the left or even up front. Um, but just because we have no one else besides Theo Walcott, one of your other former boys uh, to come in for him, it, it's kind of just, he's there by necessity. Um, but, but an interesting question to kind of bring this full circle or wrap things up. Um, I, my understanding is that a functioned predominantly as a substitute for Arsenal. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, his production when he gets a full 90 versus when he comes off the bench? Is he the type of player who can really kind of bring a spark to a game and change it when, when he's coming, um, coming on as a substitute?
3: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that's where it will be. I've seen him shine most in his Arsenal career. I mean, let's keep in mind that he's still 23 years old. He's still super young, a lot of time to develop, and he's not at his prime yet by any means. But um, if you want a good example of him coming off the bench and really shining, you can look at the Europa League final, Arsenal versus Chelsea this year, where he came on and he was an in instant impact. And he really turned the game on its head. If Arsenal weren't down, uh, I think it was three goals at that point, perhaps Awobi might have been our savior and uh, there would have been songs written about him in Arsenal history. But uh, he did score a great goal in that game. And I think that's kind of the shining example of what you'd want to see from Awobi all the time, the pace, the dribbling at players, and um, clinical, he hit an insane volley that put Arsenal, uh, the Arsenal hopes back in place. But uh, off the bench, Awobi is an excellent option. I think for the price tag, you'd probably want to see a player for that price start get more game time. But I think he's going to give Bernard a good run for his money this year.
2: Absolutely, Will. I mean, we see, and this is not this is not just an Everton thing. On Twitter, right? Like everyone finds the highest price tag they can in any tabloid they can and then try to make it stick for a transfer. I mean, I saw even on, you know, on Twitter yesterday talking about how we paid 40 million pounds for a Wobie, which is just not even close to accurate, right? We paid we paid mid to upper twenties with, with maybe a couple bonuses, but I agree. I, I think he has high expectations to live up to, but I'm also really excited to see how he can kind of push Bernard because, lookman did not seem to do so in training nor on on the pitch when he got his slight cameos
0: it's good to have you know the perspective of someone who's watched him regularly because obviously we haven't but i will say he makes a mean highlight video i will say that about alex it because i watched a couple and i was i came away convinced he was like the second coming over and all
3: he's uh he's a fantastic flair dribbler that's what I'll say about Alex Awoobi. That might be his number one selling point to a lot of fans in the beginning. Well, we
0: could always use a little bit more of that in our lineup because, for what Richarlison offers, he's—I don't—I wouldn't qualify him as a flare dribbler. I think Bernard probably fits that mold a little bit better. But yeah, to, to have someone like that who can. You know, not like, not like Wilfred Zaha because Zaha carries so much more of the load for Palace and just like a side note, I feel bad for Zaha because Palace look atrocious Um, in their first couple of games. Yeah, I think they're going down down. too. It will be nice to have maybe a couple of nutmegs and some, some spin moves to whip out and get uh, the park end or, or the Gladys street going uh, at Goodison this season. So we're looking forward to it. Mike, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your perspective. We, we appreciate it a lot.
3: Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. And uh, please take good care of Alex Wilby. We we Arsenal fans love him and we want to see him succeed. So I'll always be rooting for Everton as my secondary team. I'll especially be rooting for Alex Wilby this year. So thank you guys.
2: Alright, so Mike makes some really good points about Iwobi. Luckily, and I'm hoping, we might be able to talk a little bit more in depth about him in our post-match episode over the weekend, because this coming Friday, and unfortunately for a lot of American Evertonians who might be working, like James and I, we have Aston Villa away, specifically on the East Coast, 3pm. Are you looking forward to the match, James?
0: I'm assuming yes, as always. Hugely looking forward to it. It's Again, it's very unfortunate the Friday match. I may try to skip out a little early on work so that I can watch it. I don't I'm not sure if my new new promotion will allow me the leeway to do that. Um, but I might stay a little late the next couple of days just so I can get out. I'd rather it be at three o'clock than like noon, you know. Same same thing with me, right? Like
2: last season, if a match was played during the day, during the afternoon, as terrible as it sounds, I was good to go. But nowadays I never know if I'm gonna be pulled into a meeting or something like that or or, or a phone call so I'm I'm hoping that I can catch the match three or five I'll even stay late to work so I can watch it uninterrupted to be honest but let's get right into it so Aston Villa in my opinion it's pretty exciting to see them back in the league and, and to play them so early on in the season
0: it really is it's fantastic for the league as a whole I think to have a really historic club like Aston Villa um, I think a lot of maybe newer fans aren't as familiar with them because they haven't been in the Premier League in a few years, but historically on par with Everton as one of the biggest clubs in the game in the history of the of the English First Division. Uh, they've won the league seven times, seven-time FA Cup champions. They've won also the, the League Cup five times. So a really historic and very successful club. And they've come back into the Premier League with money to spend. They spent over 100 40, 50 million dollars, I guess, not not pounds, but a significant spend for them looking to secure their position and, and maintain their spot in the league this season and, and for years to come.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, as we saw last season with with someone like Fulham, spending hundred million plus pounds or dollars does not guarantee you or guarantee the fact that you're gonna stay in the league. However, it gives you at least a fighting chance when you're talking about the NBC. TV deal specifically in the States, any position in the Premier League, even if you finish 20th place, it's worth about 100 million euros, or excuse me, 100 million pounds for one year. And and that's regardless of of your winnings, your quote unquote winnings, assuming you're 20th place in the league itself and that sort of thing. So when you're being promoted and spending 100 plus million pounds or 100 plus million dollars, it's almost just trying to break even for the next year and, and guaranteeing that TV money for the next for the following year. Now I might also remind Evertonians that the last season that Aston Villa were in the league, they were relegated and we picked a certain Adresa Ghana gay out from their squad that summer.
0: Yeah. Good shout. Uh, Good old Ghana. May he have all the success in the world at PSG and they do make traditionally fairly good signings. And from what I've read about their transfer window, it's not similar to what Fulham did where Fulham didn't really have a clear transfer strategy and kind of just bought players, maybe tried to pick out some big names, you know, Cessignon, um, Andre Schurla, like players that didn't really fit the system. Whereas Aston Villa have, I believe every single player they bought or brought in has played under their manager, Dean Smith, at some point, or, you know, played a similar style. And so there's clearly like a method behind the spending. It's not just uh, willy-nilly maybe similar to Fulham or similar to even us a few years ago. So they've they've done their business with a purpose and they do have, you know, a pretty good squad. Last season they had Tammy Abraham on loan from Chelsea, who's of course returned. And they lost like 15 players because between all the players that either left on loan or, or that they sold, but they brought in a lot as well. So it's a huge turnover for them. A lot of probably growing pains and adjustments to be made, but I do think that they are a a strong candidate to remain up this year.
2: I'd have to agree. I I am still very high on Jack Grealish. I'm not sure how other fans uh, here or abroad feel about him, but I think he's a very star. He's a very talented player. And and if I'm going to be honest, I was hoping they were not going to be promoted so that, that gave Everton, if we would ever be in the race for him, a better chance at signing him. But to, to move on, let's talk about Everton. Let's talk about our squad quote-unquote issues coming up this week or, or or possible issues. So first things first, we might have an issue at left back um, and specifically more widespread to our, our back line. So Dean came out early last match over the weekend, and Baines has not been fit to this point. So we saw Holgate come in, Seamus switched to left back. You know, do you think Dean is going to be fit? Do you think Baines will be fit? What will the defense look like if if one or the other or both are not?
0: I, I will say that it will be a big problem. Uh, I'm waiting with bated breath for Marco Silva's presser on Thursday to see what he has to say as far as updates on those injuries. Um, if Luka Dean's out and Baines is not fully fit, with the chemistry that they've developed, two clean sheets on the bounce, several going back into the last season. So if that if that chemistry and that solid locked in group is is broken up, I will have some serious concerns about what the back line looks like, but, um, we do still have some options Delph potentially, but I don't really know who else would, would fit in there. We don't really have a a third left back, which isn't uncommon. I suspect that beans is probably getting close to fit. And that's, that's my kind of hope that I'm clinging to at this point.
2: That's fair. So bringing up Delph brings up another point. I kind of had a Twitter poll and, and discussion earlier while at work, um, so let's talk about this defensive midfield position. I feel pretty strongly about it. I've been waiting all day to debate you, James, and maybe I have the upper hand because you're so tired. I don't know. I'm smelling blood in the water. But so so let's let's talk about this. Let's assume all three defensive midfielders are fit: Morgan Schneiderlin, Delf, and Bameen. Right? Who should start and why, in your opinion?
0: Let me just say that. I saw your tweet on the account earlier and I immediately was filled with not rage, but just, just disappointment because in my opinion, cherry picking the past completion stat and saying that it's not good enough. And, and believe me, I understand where you're going with it. Like that we lost possession to Watford, which at home is never good, but he's, it's only his second game. And a lot of people, you know, Trev Malco, shout out Trevor, uh, made the point, like he's not going to get any better on the bench. He's not going to improve. He's not going to continue to adapt. Um, and so if he's up to fitness standards, then it just comes down to adjusting to the pace of play and getting used to it. And there's nothing that's going to do that better than an away match at Villa, which is going to be quite the intimidating atmosphere, get him in. Um, and and I just think that he's the future of the team. And so with this run of games, that's very favorable for us at, at the start of the season. I think this is the perfect time to kind of for, for Silva to allow those players the luxury of being able to, to get comfortable and so that we can solidify our, our real starting lineup once the games start getting really tough.
2: So I agree with pretty much all your points. I do think that he's not ever going to fully integrate until he plays, he gets minutes, right? I absolutely agree with that. I also think that he is the future of. Everton in that midfield spot. However, I think the key point is future. My counterpoint would be, first of all, he would never have gotten the minutes that he's gotten if Morgan Schneiderlin didn't go out uh, on a red card initially. And and one could argue, and actually we both talked about this, Tom Davies in our opinion, should have come on against Crystal Palace instead of Bamin because Bamin had had uh, one week worth of preseason in terms of even just fitness, let alone being in a new country with new teammates, new training sessions, new coaches. And so there was no reason why he should have been there. Then I personally, I, I don't think you were, but I personally was was surprised to see him starting last weekend, about two, three days ago. But that was only because I thought that Fabian Telf was going to be fit. My point is, okay, he was thrust into the starting lineup uh, last weekend. He, he got. Over half a match the weekend prior. However, his performance has not been good. I, nobody can argue that. Like that's not even contestable. Here's my um, issue. No, he hasn't though, right? But because because I said it when 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 he came when he came to Everton, I was really excited about his physicality. He has a lot of speed. He's good in the tackle. He looks forward, which is, which is more than we've had in defensive midfielders in the last X amount of years. However, his passing is not, I would not say, above average. And he's proven that in the team thus far. Now, the argument is, and I, I, I believe that he needs more time to learn his teammates' movement and to also adapt to the play, the, the, the speed of play in the Premier League. But my overarching consensus is, if Everton are really trying to break into the top six this season, you have to play your best player currently in every position, and that's a fact. I don't think Bamin is our best player at defensive midfield this week. Could he be in two or three weeks? Absolutely, but I don't think he is this week.
0: Well, I think you're limiting. First of all, I think one of the things you're doing is you're you're picking out the, the passing completion percentage and using that as extrapolating that to say that he didn't have a good performance. I thought that there were several moments throughout the game where he looked very commanding physically, looked up to speed as far as that is concerned, as far as competing for tackles, winning tackles, winning the ball back, and even his work in the press I thought was really good as well. The passing is a concern, but at the same time, you're looking at a player who is brought in as a replacement to Adrissa Gay, and he's not a like-for-like replacement. He's not the same player as Adrissa Gay, who may have pushed the you know mid to upper 80s, um, maybe even probably not low 90s, but mid to upper 80s in passing completion percentage. But 85, 90 percent of those passes were backwards or sideways. This is a player that I think has a much more is much more offensively minded much more inclined to try to get the ball forward. And of course, once you get forward and you're trying to create chances, your, your passing percentage is bound to drop. And he does like a long ball as well. Shout out Andy, um, El Pivote, El Pivote, <laughs> whatever it is on, uh, on Twitter, great account, really insightful, knows a lot, um, pointed this out in response to your tweet was that nine passed forward long balls, um, for the, for incomplete, incomplete passes were long balls. And so, You know, a player that's looking forward and trying to get get involved in the offense from our midfield, I think fits the profile of what Silva wants in that position more so than maybe a Fabian Delph. Now, to your point that is he the best player in our position in that position right now, or I guess on Friday, that's a fair point. Maybe he's not. Maybe Fabian Delph, if fit, is a better fit for that role. No pun intended. But I still think that if you're looking to build, build the squad, um, for the future not the not the even the long term future but the immediate future for the next 4 or 5 weeks you the if the plan is for him to be the the starter 2 3 weeks from now then i say just get him in now if he's fit again assuming that he's good to go and and there's no concerns about how much he can run and how much ground he can cover the passing and those skills that I think it's pretty clear from, from what he did at mains that he possesses those qualities and that those will come with time. It's just going to be a growing phase and, and that comes with minutes. And so that's just kind of my take on, on the JPG situation.
2: Yeah. And he needs minutes and the passing stat. So, so I want to dive a little bit, deeper into the passing stat from a tactical perspective the reason why i was highlighting the passing stat and the reason why it's such such a big concern for me is only because as you mentioned i said we considered or we conceded excuse me most possession to Watford at home last weekend right now defensive midfield arguably is one of the most important positions in recycling possession right regaining possession and passing it sideways, backwards, forward. It doesn't matter. Recycling position. So my point is only that it's not necessarily the fact that, oh, he's just not passing up to par because I actually really, really did like his ideas. I liked the long balls that he missed specifically, you know, the long switches, but we need to keep more of the ball because the way Silva likes to play, he pushes our fullbacks up so high. They sit at the midline. We've talked about this many times and so the defensive midfielder, and this is why he mentioned his very first press conference, Morgan Schneiderlin is a very important player to him. The defensive midfielder plays an extremely important role in, in, in possession and then when possession gets turned over. And so if we are losing possession like we did against Watford, we are going to see our flanks exposed like we did against Watford, because our fullbacks are pressed too high and it, it has nothing to do with Luka Dean or Seamus Coleman or whoever plays fullback being out of position, it has to do with the fact that we are losing possession and it's getting turned over
0: too quickly. All fair points, and, and I think we'll just have to agree to disagree on this one. I feel fairly confident that my take will be vindicated on Friday afternoon when the lineups come out, but um, we'll just have to see what what happens at that point. Let's move on a little bit now to talk about um, who we think are the key players for for the team as we go to, to Villa Park and, and take on Aston Villa. Who Who is your key man, Alex? So I I hate to limit it to one person,
2: but you know last week I humbly said Bernard as one of mine, um, <laughs> which I actually forgot about until someone on our Discord reminded me. But I think this week, uh, to be cliche, I'd have to go with Richarlison. I say Richarlison because I thought that he had a decent first match, although not always involved. Not that that's necessarily his fault, based on you know possession and how the team is shaped and that sort of thing and the off the the opposition's defense but this this match that we had last weekend against Watford I thought that he was very poor and he needs to step it up a because Marcus Silva said it specifically no one is safe in the lineup and b because he was joint top scorer for Everton last season and he needs to be again this season we are relying on that so we need him to knock one in knock a few in we need the win against Aston Villa and we need Richarlison firing back on all cylinders. What about you?
0: For me, it's going to have to be, I think, Yerimina again. I think he started off the season so well and really haven't skipped a beat with the loss of Kurt Zuma that if he can maintain that momentum, with the considering that he could potentially have um, a new player or an unfamiliar player to his left, if neither left back or fit, it's going to be really interesting to see how he's able to react to that change. And um, I'm I'm not going to limit, I will limit myself to one and say Yerry Mina, but I think Moise Keane, who we haven't touched on um, whether he's going to start or not is a huge question. I still think it's a little early, but he definitely has a huge role to play. If not in this game, probably starting our our next match following.
2: That's fair to say. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Yerald Mina and I think, in my opinion, he's been pretty consistent in, in in most of his appearances for Everton over the last year or so. I think that it's going to be really important to try to get a third clean sheet of the season. So, speaking of, what is your score prediction?
0: I do think that this is where the clean sheet streak might come to an end. I think the crowd at Villa Park is going to be popping. It's going to be very loud, very intimidating atmosphere. And make no mistake, they have some very good players. John McGinn was a player who Alex Ferguson said that Manchester United should sign. He told Skolshar that he should sign him. And we touched on Jack Grealish, who has maybe the most polarizing hair in all of world soccer. Um, it's very nice, but and he is without the hair, even without the hair. He's a, he's a quality midfielder, and it's going to take some time for their signings to bid in. But they looked good at times against Spurs, and though they, they, they ended up losing to Bournemouth they controlled most of the game so i think that the final score is going to be 2-1 to everton i do think that we're going to be able to get enough over the line offensively to to get the win but i think the clean sheet streak comes to an end what about you
2: you know i agree that that they are going to be a stronger opponent than most will anticipate i also think there's always that that huge factor of being away specifically for aston villa being at home this coming friday you know, you're going to have all the fans, the home fans chanting, as you said, and going to be on our backs. I think the Everton, the boys in blue are going to be confident enough to grind out a win, but I think it might be an ugly win once again. I don't know that we've shown our scoring boots, uh, hence why I mentioned Richarlison being my uh, key player. And so I'm going to go for an ugly grind out one nil win to Everton, but hopefully that'll put us on seven points for the season and
0: continuous continuing us upwards and onwards. Um, We'll be back with you guys probably at the weekend to do the post-match episode. And until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.